Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and your truth. Lord, we know that you gave it to us so that we could be guided by it. I just pray, Lord, that we put our hope and our trust and our confidence in your word and we'd rely on it and that we'd walk in it. In Jesus' name, amen. We begin a new chapter this morning, Romans chapter 11. And for the last several chapters, especially the last two, Paul has addressed Israel's rejection of God. And this was prompted, and I want to give you a little bit of an overview before we actually get into 11, because this was prompted by some verses that as believers we're very familiar with. It's probably one of the most quoted group of verses in all of the New Testament, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in Romans 8, verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, for whom He foreknew He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called, whom He called, these He also justified, and whom He justified, these He also glorified. Not only are these verses great verses for Reformed theology and the fact that God's chosen us and that we also have assurance that we're never lost, but it also prompts the question that Paul anticipates as he goes into Romans chapter 9. And that question that he anticipates of some of his readers is, is what about the Jews? Because they were God's chosen people. Well, what about the Jews? And you can see that as he anticipates this question, both in chapter 9 and as well as chapter 10, you can see that he also has great sorrow because in chapter 9, as he opens up the chapter in verse 1, it says, I tell you the truth in Christ, I'm not lying, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart, for I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who were Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all the eternally blessed God. Amen. He continues on with that in verse 10. When you see how chapter 10 opens up, he says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for all Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who 
believes. So the beginning of 9, the beginning of 10, Paul eloquently points out not only the power and right of predestination of God, he also points out that Israel has continued to reject. And in fact, he ends chapter 10 by quoting Isaiah in Romans 10, 21. All day long, I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. Now, as believers, you and I can look at those wonderful verses in Romans chapter 8, and we can lay hold on those, and those are wonderful verses. But if Romans would end in chapter 10, there would be great despair for the Hebrew people. And in fact, just as Paul anticipates in both 9 and 10, that one might even question the covenant promises of God to the Hebrews. But thank God that's not the case. For while Paul is expressing his great sorrow for his own people, he offers hope as he opens up Romans chapter 11. As Paul poses this question. So in your Bibles, Romans chapter 11 I want you to look at the first question that Paul poses in verse 1. He says, I say then, has God cast away his people? So as if you think about, if you're drawing a timeline or chronology from Romans 8, all things work together for good. And he offers predestination and the assurance of believers. And then in Romans chapter 10... He deals with Israel's rejection of Christ. And then as he begins 11, he poses that additional question. I say then, has God cast away his people? And then he answers with a resounding, certainly not. Certainly not. John Stott, in his commentary on Romans, does a wonderful job in pointing out the four specific reasons why the chosen people of God, the Hebrews, are not cast away. And that's going to be the focus of our study this morning. And as Paul continues on in chapter 11... He gives these four reasons, and the first reason is a personal reason. Look at verse 1 in more detail. Paul writes, For I also am an Israelite. He's making it personal, isn't he? For I also am an Israelite of the seed of Abraham, of the tribe of Benjamin. Well, what's Paul doing writing a letter to the Romans? He's writing the letter to the Romans as a Christian, as a converted Jew. And as a converted Jew, he's answering the question on a personal basis. The Hebrews are not cast away because I myself am a Hebrew. It's his own personal testimony. And in fact... 
If you look at Philippians 3, starting in verse 3, you see that this is something that Paul continually mentions in his letters to the churches. To the church at Philippi, in Philippians 3, verse 3, he goes, For we are of the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks that he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Paul wasn't a casual Hebrew. In fact, he describes himself here in Philippians 3 as a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And he says, despite that he had a misplaced confidence in the law, God gave him grace. God gave him grace. This was his personal answer to those posing the question, has God cast away the Israelites? And I think it's also worth noting that for those who believe from a theological perspective that the promises of the Hebrew people now reside in the New Testament church, I think these are wonderful verses to counteract that argument that there is still covenant promises that will be fulfilled with the Hebrew people. That we, yes, have been grafted into those promises, but we will see those promises be fulfilled in the Hebrews themselves as well. And here, Paul is giving his personal testimony as a Hebrew that he has come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's the first reason. God has not cast away his people, and the first reason is personal, and Paul gives his personal testimony. The second reason, as Stott points out, is theological. And if you look at our focal passage this morning in Romans chapter 11, When you look at the second verse, Paul writes, God has not cast away his people whom he foreknew. This is important. Because you and I have assurances as New Testament believers that we were known before we were chosen. And here he says, God will not cast away his people whom he foreknew. Now do me a favor. Turn to the seventh chapter of Deuteronomy. Beginning in verse 6. And I want you to look at the words found in verses 6 through 8. In a description of the Hebrew people. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for himself. 
a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you were more in number than any other people, for you were the least of all peoples. But because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Here in Deuteronomy, God says, you're a chosen people. Did he choose the Hebrews because of might, because of power, because of wisdom? No. He chose them because he foreknew them. And in fact, in Jeremiah 31, verse 3, it reads, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. He has loved the Hebrews with an everlasting love. So there's a personal reason. There's a theological reason. And now let me give you the biblical case. Look back at our focal passage in Romans 11. Starting again in the second verse. It says, Or do you not know that what the scripture says of Elijah? How he pleads with God against Israel. Saying, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. But what does the divine response say to him? I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed to the knee of Bel. Remember the Old Testament story of Elijah? Elijah's at the top of Mount Carmel, he's taunting the priest of Bel. He calls down fire from heaven. It consumes the sacrifice. And while you and I would look at that and think, man, this is time to do a victory lap, we see Elijah in the following verses have a crisis. He says, I alone am left. There's nobody else. There's nobody else Who believes? I remember in high school, my preacher used to preach on these verses a lot. And he always had this phrase. He says, Elijah is having a pity party and taking martyr pills. And that's what's going on with Elijah is he says, I alone am left and they seek my life. But let me read that response again of what God tells Elijah that we see in Romans 11, 4, I have reserved for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. We have limited revelation, don't we? We have limited revelation. And we don't get to see how the future is going to play out. We know how the end plays. We know how the end plays. We know the environment in which things happen. But... Elijah finds himself in the same position. He's in despair. But God says, not so fast. There's 7,000 more. In other words, 
there is a remnant. There's a remnant. And that's a very important word to remember as we go through this passage and as we'll continue to go through chapter 11. There is a remnant of the Hebrew people. And that's the biblical answer. Is that God will not save all of the Hebrews, but there is a remnant. And God has reserved that remnant who are believers... I think we can find a lot of truth in how God interacts with the Hebrews in how he interacts with us. As God gave the covenant promises, yes, he gave nationalistic promises to the Hebrew people, but there's also spiritual promises. And those spiritual promises were reserved for those who were to believe you can kind of draw a little bit of an analogy out of that for how people view America. There's lots of people that said that, well, you know, America was a Christian nation. America was a Christian nation. We're not a Christian nation anymore. But people look back in the day and they say at one point that we were a Christian nation. Does that mean that everybody in America was a Christian? That was never the case. That was never the case. We've always had people that didn't believe. But somehow we take this kind of belief that at some point that we were a Christian nation and we mix that in with some nationalistic type Christianity that I personally do not think is well-serving, nor do I think it's biblical. The Hebrews did the same thing. Remember what they told Christ? I'm of Abraham. I'm of Abraham. In other words, I don't have to worry about anything. I was born right. I'm born into it. And we have people like that here in our own country today who think that Christianity and Americanism goes hand in hand, and that's not the case. That's the furthest from the truth. And here in our own nation, we have some people who profess a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, and then others do not believe. And yes, just as Elijah got discouraged because he felt like he was the only one, can't we relate to that today? As you pick up the newspaper or you look on your computer, or you turn on the news. And as we look at a world that is vastly different to the world that we grew up in, it's so easy for us to sit there and say, we're the only ones left. We're the only ones left. But there's a remnant, isn't there? And God's hand is still accomplishing His purposes. And there's a remnant of people, just as in Elijah's day, there were 7,000 who believed. Because God is a God of covenant. He doesn't break His covenant. And you may sit there this morning and you may say, what does this all have to do with me? 
What does this have to do with me as a believer? Well, I say that it is very important that you have a firm grasp on what God has done with the Hebrew people because it relates to us. And this leads us to the last reason. And in the last reason, as we first talked about personal, then we talked about theological, and then we talked about biblical, Stott uses a word in his commentary that's appropriate, nothing wrong with it. He says contemporary. I think that if I was writing that, I would pick a different word. It can mean the same thing. And I would say that it's living. There's a living reason. And look at verse 5. Verse 5 and 6, which is our last reason. As Paul writes regarding the Hebrews, because he says, even so then at this present time. Even so then at this present time. That's why Stott says contemporary. That's why I say living. And I'm going to expound on living in just a moment. Even so then, at this present time, there is a remnant. There's a remnant. So he brought in Elijah. He brought in the 7,000 back in the day, hundreds and hundreds of years before. And now he says, even so at this present time, there is a remnant according to what? To the election of grace. And if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. You could say, well, how do we all get saved? And these are great verses for this. I would say as it relates to what Paul is writing about in context in these verses Paul, as he starts out with a personal reason, he's bringing it back to a personal and living reason. As he writes to the Roman church, he's saying, Jews are still being saved by grace. He said, Jews are still being saved by grace. And I say it's living. And the reason why I say it's living is, is today there are still Jews that are being saved by grace. You can just go to Jews for Jesus or any of these other sites that try to win Jews for Christ. And so he's saying, yes, there's a time of the Gentiles, but there's still a remnant, still a remnant of Hebrews that are coming to a saving knowledge. And I think it's also important for us to recognize how they are coming to Christ. They are coming to Christ in the exact same way that you and I come to Christ. It's their grace. It's their grace. Now, for my Arminian friends who believe that grace has a choosing aspect on those that are actually being saved, I would like to point out that in these particular verses... In verse 5, it says, At this present time there is a remnant according to the what? Election. Election of grace. In other words, God picks. God picks. 
He picks the Hebrews. He picks the Gentiles. Not all Gentiles come to a saving knowledge. Not all Hebrews come to a saving knowledge. There's a remnant. There's no difference. Because God chooses. It's an election of grace. Now, if it wasn't an election of grace, it would mean that there's an election of works. Right? It would mean that there's something that I've done. That I have, in my own way, moved towards God. You find that nowhere in the Bible. It says that men love darkness rather than the light. That they love sin. Paul says that the natural man is at enmity with God. In other words, we're incapable of choosing. That grace is part of election. That that can't be separated. It's true for us in the New Testament church. It was true for the Hebrews. If that wasn't the case, you just have to rip out the Hall of Faith chapter in Hebrews, right? Because all of the Old Testament saints, how did they come? They came by faith. The Bible says that even our faith is a gift of God. It's not of us. It's a gift. Our faith is a gift. So I think it's extremely important that we understand that God operates both among the Hebrews as well as the Gentiles in relationship to salvation in the exact same way. We aren't here because of ourselves, our works, our righteousness, our wisdom, our intellect, our logic. We are here only because God in His grace chose us. He took the veil away so that we could understand the things of God. And as we come to that knowledge. Our salvation has more joy because we recognize that it's not by us, but it's only through the love of Christ do we stand in His presence as a child of God. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank You that You're a God of grace. Because there is no way that we could cross that great divide had it not been for the cross and the power of the resurrection. I just pray, Lord, that we might recognize that we're always a people of grace. That we're never a people of works. I pray, Lord, that we might recognize that the only way that people come to a saving knowledge is through grace. And I pray, Lord, if there's someone listening in in our sermon audio that doesn't know you, that today they might accept Christ as their Savior, that they might recognize that there's no way that they could stand in front of a holy, righteous God except through the blood of Christ. I pray, Lord, that we as a church might be strengthened to serve in your kingdom and proclaim this wonderful truth to a lost and dying world. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.